Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. There we go. We're continuing this look at the book of Nehemiah. And, and Brent did a great summary of where kind of we're at so far, how, what the problem was where, where Nehemiah and the people of Israel were able to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild after their city and their, their whole nation had been taken captive. And we saw how Nehemiah saw the problem, how the rebuilding was not going well, how they were facing all kinds of, of opposition and difficulty. And he went into this time of, of mourning, but also in that time of mourning, it was a time of praying, of seeking God, of listening to what God was saying to him. And as he began to put a plan in place, and he was, as he was prepared to take on personal risk, great personal risk to begin to move that plan out, um, we see the, the story unfold, and, and we saw that there was opposition that came as they began to actually start to put blocks together, bricks together, stones together for rebuilding. Opposition came when they started to actually move forward. Today we focus on chapter 5, and, and I believe there's an important lesson for us again today as we, we think about this in terms of what it means for us to move forward, what it means for us to move through this, this time of transition. So if you have your Bibles there, you can turn with me to Nehemiah 5. I'm going to read right now verses 1 through 14. Nehemiah 5, 1 to 14. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive. Others said, we've mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out to these nobles and officials and I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have, been, who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, and olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged them when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. 
We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had just promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to follow your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised God, and the people did as they promised. The lesson that we're focusing today is is this. That in whatever we're doing as a church and, and even as individuals, we need to remember those who are in need and stand against injustice even as we move forward. As we prepare to move forward, as we prepare to, to move forward out of whatever transition we're into to what God has next, we can't do so while forgetting those who are in need around us. We can't turn a blind eye to injustice as we do it. In the chapter I just read so far, we, we see two problems. First of all, there was a famine. There was Jewish people that had significant debt, and because of the famine, they had no food. They had to go into further debt to the point where they had to, uh, to sell, their, sell some of their, their children into a kind of indentured servant, servanthood to get money to, to survive. That was the first problem. But the second problem was that some of those, the wealthy Jewish people, they were the ones taking advantage of these people. They were taking advantage of the hardships that their, their brothers and sisters were in and benefiting from it personally. The last time we studied Nehemiah, we talked about overcoming opposition. And we looked largely at opposition that was coming from the outside. Outside nations, outside forces that were opposing the work of God, the rebuilding of God. This is a a different kind of opposition in a lot of ways. This was an opposition that was coming from inside. And it was something that, that Nehemiah saw and realized that they needed to address it. And as he heard the cry of, of those poor people, as they came to him, as, as governor of Judah that he was, he has to do something about it. I think it's just a human condition, a condition of this world, that there's always been this gap between rich and poor. And even Jesus says, the poor will always be among you. It's just a reality of life. But the fact of the matter is that those of us who have can't just focus on ourselves and what, what we have and what we need and what we're doing. We also need to be aware of those around us who don't have and care about them. Many of those who returned from, from Babylon to Jerusalem were well off because they were allowed to work in Babylon. Some of them were, were successful there and they, they amassed uh, some wealth. And so when they came back to Jerusalem to rebuild, they had some of that, but Others weren't so prosperous. The resulting kind of class struggle was, was threatening the progress of the work to the point where, where Nehemiah had to address it. I mean, the conditions weren't favorable for those who, who were already kind of on the brink. Those who were already poor. Those who were already struggling. And then this, this famine comes and that would just push them over the edge. They were just barely hanging on as it was and then this famine comes and, and makes things worse. And when you think about it, almost everyone was involved in this rebuilding of the wall. So even when they were rebuilding, they couldn't wholly focus on their crops and their fields. They were, they were doing those things, but they were also working on the wall. And so they, they, they were just struggling to survive. And we see some greedy, rich people that saw an opportunity, even though they were brothers and sisters in the Jewish 
community, and they took advantage of them, and they were willing to exploit those poor for their own personal gain. They lent money and likely charged high interest for, for the loans. And we see the result of that, again, as we talked about, was that people were, had, were, they were desperate. They had no place to go other than to, uh, to begin to sell their, their own children into a, a kind of slavery, in a way, indentured servitude. And so, when Nehemiah hears this complaint, when he hears the complaint of the poor, he realizes that, that it wasn't against him, it was against the situation. And so their, their criticism concerned those wealthy people who were misusing their power. We know that God cares about the poor and the oppressed. It's a really prominent theme in, in all of Scripture that, that God sees those who are in need. That God cares about people like, like widows and orphans, those who are in powerless situations. He cares about the poor. He cares about those who are in need. He cares about those who are in positions where they can't help themselves. And because God cares about those people, He's called us to, to be about His business, to be about our Father's business. And so we also need to care about those situations. And so when we see the situation being brought to Nehemiah, we see in verse 6, it says that I was very angry. Nehemiah says he was very angry. And let's not downplay that verse. Let's not skip past that too fast. Because I think sometimes we are not comfortable with, with anger. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us think there's something not right about it. Something to be avoided. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. God experiences righteous anger. We saw Jesus in his earthly life experiencing righteous anger. And here, Nehemiah experiences that. And we will experience righteous anger as well. Anger isn't sin. Although sometimes, if we're not careful, what we do with our anger can be sin. And so we need to be careful. And so we see Nehemiah here being angry. Not, and not just angry, but very angry. His righteous anger then moves him into action. It drives him to do something about it. To not just let things sit the way they are. Not just sit there fuming, but to respond against that kind of injustice. And so he sets out to correcting the wrong and, and directing his, his abilities to, to fixing the abuse. Even though there was work to do, there was still work in, in carrying out the vision. <clears throat> the vision that the walls weren't done yet. There was still lots of work to be done. He stops and he starts to to address this issue. And we see that first of all, he, he directed his attention to those people that were offending directly. And he goes to them. And he gives them an opportunity to, to make things right, to recognize their wrong and to do something about it. As we think about what they were doing, we realize that it wasn't just a, a justice issue, although it certainly was. It was also actually a, a sin issue. This was a spiritual issue that that Nehemiah was dealing with. In Exodus 22, verses 25 to 27, we read this. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a moneylender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful." 
And so not only was it just wrong for them taking advantage of the brothers and sisters, they were actually disobeying a, a commandment from God. That when the rich were in a position where they could lend money to their own brothers and sisters, their own people in the family of God, they were not supposed to charge interest. And yet they were doing it. And doing it in such a way that people were losing everything. And really what they were doing was setting Israel up for failure again. As they did what they wanted rather than what God was telling them to do. It was a sin issue that, that caused Israel to be in captivity in the first place. This was the very reason why Israel was, was uh, allowed to, to fall as a nation. Because of their disobedience to God. And God let those other nations come and, and, and destroy them to take them over while God was reserving a remnant to, to rebuild. And so Nehemiah urges and warns for them to walk in the fear of the Lord. There is such a thing as the fear of the Lord. And that's an important point too. A man named Fleming, Fleming Rutledge said this. He said, if we insist on removing the Bible passages about the fear of the Lord, we'll have a wishy-washy God of our own construction who will not, in the end, be a real God at all. Only a God of fearful power is strong enough to overcome evil. And so there is this aspect of our relationship with God that, that is about a fear of the Lord. And it's not a, a terror of the Lord. It's not a, a relationship where we need to be afraid of our God, but we need to have a, a deep respect and a deep reverence for who God is. It's about properly understanding who God is and respecting who He is, showing Him reverence. I mean, God is our friend, but He's also the King of the universe. He's powerful. He is about justice. He's a God who is also like, like, a, like a parent who, who doesn't just stand by and watch their children disobey without punishment, without discipline, to try and restore them. And so Nehemiah challenges them to, to walk in the fear of the Lord. Well, as we continue the story here, we see that Nehemiah's initial attempt to solve it doesn't, doesn't help. He goes to the people directly. He challenges them. But the next sentence of that verse, we see that he went public with it. He called a public meeting to confront the issue. Now my assumption is, it doesn't say it specifically, but my assumption is at this point that the, the wall building has been continuing on. Up until this point, he's been trying to deal with the situation in the background. But when it didn't happen, he calls a public meeting. And even though the passage doesn't say it outright, my assumption is that, that the work had to stop temporarily. Because a public meeting, everyone was required to come. Everyone was invited. And so everyone had to stop what they were doing. Everyone had to be at this meeting. And so they had to stop that work temporarily to deal with this, this important issue. And I think maybe this is the main lesson that we need to, to gather from this passage for today. It's that people are more important than projects. The real project wasn't the wall. The real project was, was God through Nehemiah and the people rebuilding His people. And it's a lesson I think that's important for us. And in whatever we're doing as we move forward, as we begin to rebuild and try and, and restore what's been lost, 
we need to remember that, that whatever projects we're doing, whatever programs we're doing, whatever we're doing, people come first. People before projects. As a church family, we are people builders. And that really is what is at the heart of disciple-making. And we see that, that that injustice that was taking place, Nehemiah didn't see that to be a necessary evil that they had to put up with and let be there while they continued the important part of, of uh, work of building the wall. They didn't just deal with it. They didn't just let it be there. They stopped the work so they could address the more important issue of people in need. So after openly exposing the injustice and, and confronting those wealthy offenders, they, they repent. And they take oaths to uh, agree to return the interest, return any lands that have been taken unjustly, and to stop charging interest. Verse 13 is a symbolic act. And we see that, that Nehemiah shook his robes. Back in those days, I guess they didn't have pockets in their robes. They would, they would keep some of their belongings in their robes. So when Nehemiah got up there before them and, and shook his robes, presumably things fell out. His money bag, his, the keys to his camel, I don't know, whatever, whatever he had in there. When he shook his robes, things fell to the ground. And it was a visual, symbolic uh, of challenge to those people that, that if you don't obey and follow through with the commitment that you've made, May God shake you like my robes have just been shaken. And may the things that you have be shaken loose from you. It was serious. It was a challenge. And in some ways, uh, a threat. Don't make this promise before God now and then not follow through with it because God takes this seriously. I just want to close with these last few verses. And it's a bit of an aside in some ways. If you still have your Bibles there, look at verses 14 to the end of the chapter. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy taxes or heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day including, included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every ten days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. I just love that description of, of Nehemiah's governance of his mode of leadership. How he directs the work, he oversees the work, but he was also actively involved in it. He was there. 
He was hands-on. He was present. He led by example. He refused to add to the financial burdens of people that, and picked up the tab for himself, didn't take any of the allowances that, that he was rightfully able to take as governor, waived his rights for that. And I think, in fact, in waiving his rights to take those things, to take the, the things that were right, rightly due to him, it actually gave him a platform to speak to those who were doing wrong. A better platform. He didn't take advantage of those normal perks and privileges of his office. Even though he had every right to do it, he gave up those, those personal freedoms for the people. People become, come before those things too. You know, if Nehemiah were running in our next federal or provincial election, I think I'd probably vote for him. His motivation was devotion to God and compassion for his people for their welfare. When we think of defending the poor, defending those who, who don't have power, our thoughts tend to go to people like Mother Teresa, who, who was a great example of that. You know, she gave everything she had. She gave her whole life to serving the poor. And she once was heard saying that, uh, that Jesus, Jesus often appears in the distressing disguise of the poor. When she was helping the poor, she saw Jesus in them. She saw that she was actually serving Jesus in those places. And I don't think that kind of ministry is meant just for, for great people like Mother Teresa. It's meant for each one of us as followers of Jesus in, in our everyday lives. Looking around, seeing what the needs are, paying attention to people, caring for the needs around us. Remembering that, that our little projects and our little programs and all the things that we are doing aren't more important than people. Philippians 2, 3-4 says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. People over projects. The needs of others over our needs. Let's pray. God, thank you for this great example of a leader who was after your own heart. God, we know in your word and we know from seeing the life of Jesus that Jesus cared about those who were poor, those who, who were powerless, those who had little. Jesus cared. And God, you see them. And as you call us to be your followers daily, you invite us to, to do the same, to be about the work that you're already doing. So God, as, as we think about moving forward, as we think about rebuilding, as we think about transitioning from what was into what is next, help us to see people the way you do. Help us to look around us and not forget those people who are in need. Help us to remember that what we're doing, our projects, our programs, our things, are not more important than your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.